Awesome. Hey, this is a good problem. This is a good problem, sharing good news. Uh, I understand not everyone uh, in the room may have good news in their lives, but I think in Scripture and in God's, in God's kingdom, it's something very, it's something very profound that, that when we focus on the good things, even if they're very small, God uses the small things in order to release the big things. So if we'll be thankful for the good in our lives in one area, it actually can transfer into breakthrough in another area. But if we only ever focus on what God's not doing, we'll be unpleasantly surprised to see a lack of outcome or desired outcome because of a, of a wrong focus. Because God's always doing something, and it's our privilege as, as sons and daughters, as believers, to not find out what he's not doing, but actually to see what he is doing. And that's what good news is about. That's what finding the gold or finding the, 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 the things in life that are small but that are beautiful. Because it's just like seeds. You plant those good seeds and it grows into a tree and, and it bears much fruit. Um, so we're really just talking about testimonies. I want to share, before I get into my message, I want to share a testimony. So I love testimonies. I love sharing what God's doing um, at, at, in the church, in the world, uh, in the city. And so this uh, testimony is from... A few weeks ago, and it was uh, on a Sunday morning when uh, Robbie Dawkins was here, and he, and he, if you were here for that, raise your hand. He invited everyone forward, the people who had terminal illness and, and the people with broken relationships who needed finances, and there was a, there was a gentleman um, who came up for the broken relationships. He had a brother who he hadn't talked to in three years. A lot of bitterness, a lot of hatred towards one another. So he went up for the broken relationships. He ended up praying for a woman who had uh, terminal cancer. And one of the things he said was, it, it, it really made my problem seem pretty insignificant. And I was able to pray in faith for her healing. And then she in turn prayed in faith for my, our reconciliation. Um, so we went forward. They prayed for restoration of the relationship. That afternoon, he went to a bas- his son's, or he went to ref a basketball game at the courthouse, and he had no idea. He hadn't talked to him in three years. His brother was coaching a team that his son was on. And he was like, he saw him, and he was like a little bit, you know, like your heart can race when you see someone and not sure where you're at with them. <laughs> and his brother walked up to him and gave him a hug and said, I've missed you. Isn't that crazy? From, from the, the wise or the, or the profound statement that Pastor Tom Smith always says is, you can't make this stuff up. You can't make this stuff up. And uh, I really felt that I was supposed to share that testimony and then say to anyone who, uh, anyone who has a broken relationship, there's hope. I can't promise you it's going to happen the same day. But there's hope. Don't lose sight. Don't lose sight. Here, would you pray with me as we get started this evening? Father, we, uh, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit that makes your word come alive. Your spirit that teaches us all things and your spirit that moves on behalf of your, your will, God, and your desire. And I pray, God, that you would awaken, God, the passion. You would awaken, God, the desire. You would awaken the truth in our hearts so that we can become and live out, God, all that you've called us to live and all that you've called us to be. Lord, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for the power that's in the cross and the power that's in Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, we're going to be reading out of 1 Samuel uh, this evening. And uh, we're going to be talking about David and Goliath. And so uh, I, was, I was talking to uh, Ashley and Sarah before and I said, you know, I'm going to talk about David and Goliath. I swear, you could, you could talk, you could preach on David and Goliath for like two years and never run out of things to, to really preach and, and talk about because it's such, a, such an applicable story and, and narrative that, that applies to so many areas of life. So we're going to be in 1 Samuel 17. We're not going to focus on the whole story. Uh, we're going to focus on uh, really two key passages. So I'm going to read the first out of 1 Samuel 17, starting in verse 33. And so uh, Saul replied, so 
to, to precurse this, so David had just come with his brothers and Goliath was calling the Israelites all a bunch of names and calling them a bunch of sissies and, and talking about their moms. And, uh, and so he's yelling at them and then David's like, who's this, who's this joke? Like, he's going to talk about us? He's going to talk about God that way? No. I have a theory that David was like short because um, that's like someone who has little man syndrome would say. You know what I'm saying? Like those people that are short but they're really big personalities. And uh, so David's like, okay, I'll, if y'all, y'all are not going to go fight him, I'll go fight him. Like, I'll go. And uh, so David is only like 16 at this, age, at this point. So any 16-year-olds in the room? No? 17-year-old Kimmy? Yeah, Kimmy, she would actually go kill a giant. So I don't doubt that. Uh, Kimmy, Kimmy's an amazing, pause, Kimmy's an amazing student uh, in our student ministries. And after our One Heart Conference where we equipped them to go pray for the sick in public, Kimmy went to, she goes to Wyoming High School and she started praying for students in her, uh, in her, in her school. And she saw, what is it, a shoulder? She saw a shoulder kid on the baseball team who was in tryouts and wasn't going to be able to try out. She prayed for him and he ended up trying, and, trying out and was able to throw baseball after Kimmy prayed for her, for him, sorry. And prayed for another, uh, another girl whose back was hurting, and she's just telling people about Jesus. Her new nickname is Kimmy the Healer. <laughs> and Kimmy's like, no, it's Jesus, but they don't understand. They just, they just know that when, when sick come to her, like, they get healed. And isn't that cool? Anyway, killing giants, that's right. Um, the, 1 Samuel 17.33, that's where I'm at. So Saul's uh, talking to, to David. And he's saying, basically saying, you're too small, you're too weak, you're too insignificant, you're, you're going you're gonna to get killed, little man. So Saul replied, you are not able to go out against the, this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised, uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. You're like, yep, he's 16. Saul said to David, go and the Lord will be with you. Go and the Lord will be with you. I'm going to pause here and and I'm going to tell you a story. Pastor Duane has told the story many times, so you've probably heard it. But it's about a man who... uh, it's about a man who is on a ship, who's on a boat in the middle of the ocean, and, and, uh, and his boat started to sink. And so his boat's going down, and, and he doesn't have a life jacket, and he doesn't have a, a float, flotation device, and the waves are crashing, and, 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 and he's, he's in the water, and he's saying, God, save me. God, I know you can save me. Would you save me? And so then, so then uh, a short time passes, and a fishing boat comes by and says, hey, man, like, do you need some help? He's like, nope, don't need you. God's going to save me. So he's still in the water. He's like, God, I know you're going to save me. God, I know. I I have faith. I'm a man of God. I know you're going to save me. So then like a Coast Guard boat comes by and says, hey, man, like, hey, we're here to rescue you. He's like, nope, I don't need you to rescue me. I trust God. And he is going to rescue me. So the Coast Guard Boat drives off another fishing boat, and you, you know the story. He, he refuses help. And so then he ends up, he ends up drowning and dying. Hmm. He didn't have that much faith. And, uh, and so he's in heaven, and, and he's like, God, like I had so much faith. How come, how come you didn't save me? I knew that you were going to save me. He's like, I sent three boats to save you. Why didn't you, why didn't you receive the help? And, and there's, this, there's this idea of, of, of Christianity, which, which is it's an amazing idea and concept and so true that the Lord will fight for you and that God is fighting for you and that God will see you through and that God is faithful and that God is a God of miracles and that God is present and alive. But here's the secret ingredient to a Christian life. You are a part of it. 
If we want to have a culture of, of, of health, of community, if we want to have a culture, a church body that sees miracles, that sees signs and wonders, that sees, that sees a, a young people and people coming in and being saved, and yes, listen, we need to pray. We need to pray like we've never prayed before, but we need to act like we've never acted before. And I can picture uh, some, some church people back in this day, right? This, this giant is coming and attacking, like, attacking this group of people, and they're, and they're good Christian people, and so they're, they get on their knees, and they're like, God, would you save us from this giant? God, we remember the stories of when you, when you took Moses and the Israelites, right, through the through the Red Sea. And, and we remember all these stories of you destroying the entire Egyptian army with the water. So God, bring a flood upon the Philistine army. I can imagine there's some pretty uh, uh, Christian people praying like this. And, and, and God, would you please just send a plague upon the Philistine army? God, would you please? And they're praying and pleading for God. And what they didn't realize is that the answer to our prayers often takes form in another person. Because there's this beautiful picture in Scripture that paints you and I as sons and daughters of God. And it says that we are sons and daughters in a kingdom. And I know we don't live in a kingdom right now, so it's hard to, to, hard to really, really understand how we're supposed to live in a kingdom. But in a kingdom... It really breaks down into the king's domain, the king's rule or dominion. And when it comes to sonship and daughtership, the children of the king, wherever they go, they carry the king's authority. So whenever a son of the king enters a village in the kingdom, he has complete authority and dominion over every person and item within that village. And when there's a problem and the son is sent from the king into the village and there's a problem, the son doesn't go on his iPhone, FaceTime dad, and say, hey king, what should I do here? You know, because the son has the authority and dominion to act on behalf of its king. And it says that we are Christ's ambassadors. We are sons and daughters, and God desires to, to be in partnership and relationship with each one of us. One of the reasons I had you share good news is because this service is not about a talking head. This service is about the body of Christ coming together, spurring each other on, so that tomorrow when you go into work, you release heaven. So that when Tuesday you have a conflict at work, you're the peacemaker. So that when you have an unbelieving friend who just lost a loved one, you're the person who brings hope in the midst of their trauma. That on Wednesday, when your son or daughter has a breakup in a relationship and they're totally torn because they were in love. You don't condemn them. You walk alongside your son, your daughter, and you say, it's going to be all right. And you bring peace. And that when your friend is suicidal, or your friend is depressed, and, 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 and they come to you, you stay up with them, and you talk to them, and you listen to them, and you don't try to change them. You simply love them. You see how this works? How it's not, about, it's not about attending a church service. You see, the, the, the biggest misconception about Christianity is, is that it's about Sunday. The biggest, biggest misconception about Christianity is that it's about Christian leaders and pastors. The biggest misconception is that I, I'm the man of God or Pastor Dwayne's the man of God and that y'all are just a part of the show that we're running. You know, you see, we're all a part of the show that he's running. 
And we have to get outside of ourselves. And you may say, well, I'm unqualified. I don't have a strong relationship. I don't know, understand the Bible. I try to read it and it's just crazy. I don't understand it. And I do this and, I, and I'm still in sin and I still have addictions and I still this. And, and, and I come from a broken family and I'm divorced and, and, and I'm remarried and I have a blended family. And I, listen, listen, listen. God took a 16-year-old boy who was a shepherd. He took a man named Moses who was adopted, who had a speech impediment. He took Rahab, a prostitute. He took Mary, who was a 15-year-old girl. You see how God uses what seems to be insignificant people? He does that on purpose. You know why? Because when, he, when, when God, when you see how beautiful Jesus is, when you see how beautiful his grace is, when you see how beautiful his love is, when you see how powerful the word of God is and how it literally infuses into every realm of our lives, when you and I see that, his spirit comes inside of you and tur- turns you from a coward to courageous. And it starts from this, it's not about me. It's not, about, it's not about men and women of God. It's about all of us. All of us, first point. Developing a history with God. Let's look back to 1 Samuel 17. It says, Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. He says, When the lion came and the bear came, he says, God delivered, delivered them into my hands. God saved me. He delivered them. And if you look back into 1 Samuel 16, we find that David was a worshiper. We find that when, when, when King Saul was in torment and was being tormented by demons, they brought David in to play the harp. And when David played the harp, the demons left. So how many of you know it's not like super easy to play the harp? Do do you understand that? Like it's literally one of the most difficult instruments to play. Which tells me something is that David had been worshiping and practicing for years before he ever got into the presence of the king. He had been worshiping God in the secret place before he was put in front of kings. He had been serving his father for years before he ever slayed a giant. He was keeping watch and being consistent and disciplined before God entrusted anything of, 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 of human significance to him. There's a phrase, we have a discipleship program um, at church, it's, it's for 18 to 25 year olds, nine month program to help young people step into God's call for their lives. And uh, we, had a, we had a retreat with the dudes this uh, two weekends, or last weekend, I'm sorry. And, and this is the thing that, we, that, that we, were in, we were instilling inside of them. The way you do something is the way you do everything. The way you do something is the way you do everything. The way you watch your sheep is the way that you'll care for God's people, for David. The way that you worship when no one's looking is the way that you'll worship when everyone's watching. The way that you treat your spouse influences the way that you treat everyone else. The way that you treat your kids is the way. You see how the way that we do things infiltrates every area of life and nothing is too small. Nothing is too insignificant inside of our lives that is too small for us to think we can do it without God. If you parent without God, you'll do other things without God. If, 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 you, if you do your job without God, you'll do 
family without God. You see how every area of life is affected by everything that we do. There's no such thing as about, uh, there's no such thing of compartmentalizing God and compartmentalizing our life. So uh, developing history with God. David did this. I noticed something about Saul. So David has history with God, right? And he sees the giant. He sees this enemy. He sees opposition. He sees this thing in front of him. And there's no fear. Saul sees the giant and the enemy. And he hides. The thing you have to realize about Saul, King Saul, is that his relationship with with God was always practiced through the prophet Samuel. His relationship with God was never personal, it was always professional. His relationship with God was never about love, it was always about authority, power, and image. If, we, if, if your and my relationship with God is dependent on a preacher or teacher's message about a YouTube video that you watch from Stephen Furtick or Matt Chandler or Bill Johnson or T.D. Jakes. I love T.D. I'm not criticizing watching other preachers, but there's a very real thing in the American society, American Christianity, to where we like to have our relationship through someone else who's more spiritual than us. So instead of reading the Bible on our own, instead of praying on our own, we, we go to the, to, the, to the messages that most speak to us, and we take notes, and that's our relationship with God. Or we go to church on Sunday morning, and we listen to the message, we check it off the box, and we say, did that, okay, we're good. No, you see, history with God is a daily, and hourly, is minutely a word? Minutely. It's a minutely practice. And, and we, so many people write themselves off because they don't feel spiritual enough. Listen, God does not work with spir- spiritual people. He works with available people. God does, not, God, God does not work with people who are put together. He works with people who are hungry. He doesn't work with people who, who are beautiful and handsome and, and muscular and, 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 and stunning and confident and, and, and six-figure jobs and houses on the hills and, and, and property everywhere. He doesn't work with those people. He works with people who will lay down their lives. Oh, that we as the church would understand this because our city is crying out for God's people to, to, to stand up and to use the life that, that God's given them to point the glory to God. So, I'm not going to go there. <laughs> I'm not going there. Uh. No, I'm not going to. I'm sorry. The next thing is what I'm going to. So I'm, going to say, I'm just going to say some keys to developing history. Keys. Now, these are not like all-inclusive, that these are like the only keys to like developing history with God. Just some, as I was praying and working through this and things that I, that I thought would be helpful. So if, if you're someone in the room that you're like, I don't even know where to start. Like, I don't understand the Bible. Kind of confusing. First step. Don't read Don't read King James version. <laughs> if you're if you're learning to understand the Bible, read like the NIV, the ESV, uh, you can do the NLT, all great pa- all great translations that are going to be easier to understand and apply God's word to your life. So the first key is the word. 
The Bible tells us to hide it in our hearts so that we might not sin against God. The Bible says in Hebrews 4, it says the word of God is alive and active. It says, it says also in the word that, that the word of God is used for, for teaching, for rebuke, for training in righteousness. So to live a righteous life, we actually can't do it without the word. So listen, my encouragement, the keys to developing history is to read and seek to understand and live by God's word. Second key to developing history with God is time. Have you ever met someone who like tries to be best friends with you when they first meet you? You know those, like, you ever had that? Like, how many of you know that to have true trust with someone, what does it take? It takes time, shared experiences, and communication. Here's what I'll say. If I only talk to my wife once a week, if I only, statistics say that most people come to church, and now it's not you guys because you're Sunday night people, so you guys are like the real deal. Um, statistics say that, one, that, that church-going people go on average about 50%. So every other week. What if you talk to your spouse once every other week? Once a week. Twice? Let's say you're like the real deal Christian. You come on Wednesday nights. <laughs> right? You come to Thursday. You come to Access. Right? And, and you're two times a week. God, let's, if I talk to my wife two times a week, like that, that is a, a rocky and... and that is, going to, that is going to be an awful, awful marriage. And do you know that in the Bible, God calls us his bride? I think he paints that picture because he's trying to, he's trying to tell a story of how, of how he desires for us to relate to him. How it's not just rule following, how it's not just church attendance, but it's this, this, this love story that he's inviting us into that is daily. And that he says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. He says, he says everywhere you go, I'll be there. He says, he says, whatever you ask, I'll give it to you if you ask in my name and you don't doubt. He, he's inviting us into this exchange of relationship and developing history with him. The last key, this is, this is the best one. It's obedience. Who wants, who wants more of the Holy Spirit? Who wants a move of God in their lives? Who wants, who wants God to, to bless them uncontrollably? Listen, there is no spiritual formula for obedience. <laughs> Listen, I want that stuff. I want, I want a move of the Spirit. I want, I want my coworker, my coworkers, I work at the church. Like, I hope they're saved. I want my coworkers to be saved. Um, <laughs> I'm praying for you, Daniel. <laughs> like, I, I, I want these things to happen. I, I, I want to see, I go to, I go to Granville High School for lunches. Like, I, like I want to see, like, Granville High School flipped upside down, and it's starting. We have about 30 kids that are praying, and they're seeing some really cool stuff. I see, we see it in Wyoming. I want to see this happen. But listen, if we get oh, so excited about the big things that we lose out on obedience, we'll never develop history. History with God, Jesus talks about it actually in, in John 8. He says, if you hold to my teachings, you are truly my disciple. He says, if you hold to my teaching, it's he's talking about obedience. Developing history with God is searching the word out for what it says, submitting ourselves to it, and then seeing it and saying, I will conform my life to God's word. I'm not going to be conformed any longer to the patterns of this world, but I'm going to be transformed 
by the renewing of my mind, which takes place in this relational dynamic between us and God, His Spirit, and the Word. Second point of this story, God uses our history to prepare us for victory. So you see this David, he comes in, he's like, I've killed a lion, I've killed a bear, that big old gump ain't got nothing on me. He's going down. And the thing about history, with our history, is that nothing in the kingdom is ever, is ever wasted. So if, you're, if you've been addicted to alcohol, if you've, been, if you've had a, a lot of sexual relationships in your past and, and, you, and you've changed, if, you, if you've lost loved ones when you were a kid, if, you, if you've, no matter what story you have, no matter how ugly, evil, and disgusting you might think it is, God never wastes anything in the kingdom. Because what you'll see is that as soon as you get saved and we get saved and we start living out to be a witness and be an ambassador and being a son and a daughter of God, what we'll see is God will start bringing people into your life that are experiencing the same thing that you've experienced. So it's never wasted. And what's also never wasted in God's kingdom are the breakthroughs, the testimonies, and examples of God's faithfulness in your life. Whether it's a job at the right time, whether it's a friend at the right time, whether it's an encouraging word at the right time, whether it's a message in a, in a, in a, in a teaching at the right time that you were in a season of life and the message just totally spoke to you. Like God is faithful in all of the little things in life. He's so faithful in all the little things. In the history that we have with God, is, is, is meant to point towards not equal or greater, not equal victory. It's actually to point to greater victory. So he'll use our history to prepare us for victory. God used the bear and the lion to prepare David for Goliath. So my question to us is, what has God, what has God taken you, maybe your family through? What has he taken you through? And don't view it as a negative thing that you're embarrassed to talk about in church Take it and use it as a, as a perspective to say, no, I went through that because there's greater victory and breakthrough that's not only going to help me, but it's going to help the entire neighborhood. It's going to help my entire family. It's going to help my entire school. It's going to help my entire family line. God uses and works through people. Luke 16.10 says, He who is faithful with little, will be faithful with much. He who is faithful with little will be faithful with much. Let's not overlook the small things. Let's not overlook the small things. So then we have this story, we're going to continue through the story of David. So, David, so David's going to go out and fight this guy, right? So, you know, if, if you've heard of the story, so he goes, he gets fitted for armor, and he doesn't have, like, it doesn't fit. And so he's like, you know what? I'm just going to go out there with, like, a rock and a slingshot. And David's like, and King Saul is like, dude, you are like, you're, like, stupid. Like, what are you thinking? That guy is, like, 10 feet tall, and he's got armor, and his sword weighs, like, 100 pounds, and he's going to slice you. Like, he's going to destroy you. And he's like, and, and David's just like, no, God will protect me and he will see me through. And so he goes out there and then and Goliath is out there and he's, he's, he, he sees David and he starts making fun of him, right? He starts mocking him. He starts, he starts saying, you're a little dweeb and I'm going to destroy you and eat you and all that stuff. And, and uh, David's just not intimidated. David's just not intimidated. So David, and then First uh, Samuel 17 continues his story. It says, David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty. Listen, in today's age, the devil doesn't come and speak to us in big, it doesn't speak to us in big and mighty sounds and voices. He comes in these, these weird ways called fear. He comes in, in the form of intimidation. He comes in the form of discouragement, anxiety. He comes in the form of, of doubt. He comes in the form 
of, of these, these, these thoughts that fire into our mind, that make it seem like what's in front of us is bigger than God who's behind us. This is what David says, verse 46. This day the Lord will deliver, deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistines' army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel, and all those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord says, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. I have a note in here that says, you guys, we need to start letting the devil have it. Like, we need to start letting him have it. When he touches our family, we let him have it. When he, touch, when, he touches, when he touches our friends, we let him have it. We don't sit back and be intimidated by what's going around us. You see, because God's spirit is within us, and so greater is he who's in us than he who's in the world. So whenever we're facing something, it's proof that we're supposed to advance, not retreat. And this is where I mentioned earlier, sometimes we're like, God, you're going to save us. But you see, David said God will save us, but he was still part of the equation. You see, it's not, it's not us going into our situation saying, I can handle this. It's us going into our situation saying, God can handle this, so God, use my hand. God, you can handle this. God, use my words. God, you can handle this. God, use my demeanor and my countenance to dispel the chaos that's in this room. We are part of the equation. We are part of God's equation. So some of us, are, are, some of us face giants. We face these things in our lives that are, that are oppositions, whether it's financial, whether it's relational, whether, whether it's addictions, whether, no matter what we're facing, there's, there's, a, there's a, a thought that I want to share because sometimes, like, this is a, like, I, I, I really love, like, this idea that I'm preaching tonight. It's why I get passionate about it. But I also realize that, like, we're, like, real people, and, like, we deal with, like, real situations. Like, there's real stuff that all of y'all are going through. And so you're like, okay, I'm going to stand on God's word. I'm going to let the devil have it. Like, I'm going to do all these things. And sometimes we want the breakthrough like right now. Like we want the story of the guy whose brother hugged him and we're like, yes, that's amazing. I don't want to have to go through anything. I just want God to fix all my problems. <laughs> but here's what I, here's what I, I was thinking about, you know, you know Dave Ramsey, you guys, if you don't follow his stuff and do his, you need to. Like if you don't follow what Dave Ramsey says, like you need to. Um, Dave Ramsey, you should um, shout out to you. And if you ever see this, I won't charge you for giving you a shout out. <laughs> so he has this thing called the, the debt snowball effect. Have you heard of it? So you take all, like if you have debt, you take all your debt and you organize it from smallest to largest. And then what you start doing is you start knocking out the smallest debt first, right? You start knocking out the smallest debt first and then you work your way up into the biggest debt. There's a whole lot of reasons why you do that. One of it's like psychological. When you knock out debt, you're like, yes, right? And it shows you that you can work through it. I actually think, I, I think there's something really powerful there. That I think a lot of us have these situations that, that are in front of us. And we want that situation to change. But there's actually other areas of our lives that are still undealt with. Does that make sense? So like some of us have like these huge relational problems with a family member and it seems impossible for it to be reconciled. But you have a conflict and you're holding resentment with someone at your work. Does that make sense? And so like you're praying for this relational breakthrough over here and God's saying, I've, I've, it's like T-ball over here. Like, like, it's, like this, is like the easy, this is the smallest debt. Go and be reconciled to that person at your work and apologize for being a jerk face. Because let's be real, just because we're Christian doesn't mean that we're not jerks sometimes. Go apologize for the small thing. And what happens is, is it's actually a seed that's sown 
into the miracle that you really desire. But so many of us are like, God, God, I prayed, I spoke, I did all the things that you wanted me to do, and that relationship is just not, that's impossible. And God's saying, let's take this debt snowball and let's zero it down to your smaller relationships. Some of us have, 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 have family members who, who are, and I'm going to talk, who are terminally ill, right? And we're like, God, we're going after, we're praying, we're believing, we're taking them to the healing rooms, we're doing all this amazing things. But there's, there's a coworker who just, who's in a, who's in a boot, right? Because they, because they have a, maybe a fractured foot, plantar fasciitis. And, and we won't pray for the person with the boot. Are y'all okay? <laughs> like I, I, I just think it's funny sometimes how, how we so want the miracle, but we're so unfaithful with the little things. We still want God to bless us with the big thing, but he's looking at you saying, I bless, I give the big thing to those who are, who are faithful with the little things. Some of us have, have financial issues that we're going through, and we're just like, God, I need you to come through. with. I need you, God. I need you to come through for me, God. I need you to come through. But God, God, God's like, okay, are you tithing? God's saying, have you actually made a budget? And what I'm not saying, okay, don't hear me wrong, that you have to, you have to like earn the miracle, right? I'm not saying you have to earn it. What I am saying is that who, he who is faithful with little will be faithful with much. What I am saying is that God's taking you on a relational journey, a building a history with him that is not about what you desire, but it is about him recreating you to look just like him. And if all of our miracles and giants that we're trying to slay are all about us having an easier life, I'm sorry, you probably won't see your giant slain. Because David did not consider his own life when he went to slay the giant. He was going after him because he was coming after what belonged to God. He went after, he was going after the thing that he treasured most, which was God's name. Oh, this is not a prosperity message. This is not a God's going to make your life easier message. This is saying to us, we are to look just like Christ. And you know what the image of Christ is? It's him on the cross. On, he's scarred and broken and bruised. Him on the cross, nails in his arms and in his legs. And he's on the cross and he's saying, Father, forgive them. He gave his life for us. So that we could look just like him. And so it's not about earning it. It's not about us getting our miracles. and get, It's not about us getting the breakthrough. It's about us developing a history with God. It's about us... It's about us having this history that goes beyond ourselves. Where he uses our history. He uses the things that we've, that we've been and went through in order to bring glory to himself and bring peace and harmony to our lives. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Can I have the worship team come up? That's our hang signal. Like, you're like, oh, something's going on in the spirit. Nope. <laughs> oh, gosh. 
Are you guys are you guys feeling a little awkward with the silence? Good. Good. So what I want to share to kind of to kind of wrap this up is that we already have the victory. I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians 15. It says, Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to read that again. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. You know why he says stand firm? Because just, you got, just because you have victory doesn't mean you won't fight a battle. Just because you have the victory doesn't mean you're, gonna, you're not going to face opposition. And the mark of a true, the mark of a mature believer is not that they don't face opposition. It's what they look like in the opposition. We, we need to stop praying prayers that God will take things away from us and start praying prayers that God will make us look like him in the face of opposition in impossible situations. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. He gives us the victory. He gives us the victory. But the victory does not come when the relationship is restored. The victory is not when the miracle comes. The victory is not when you name whatever situation that you pray for. That's not when the victory is manifested. The victory is manifested in the relationship. See, the victory is won through your and my history with God. Otherwise, we become like King Saul, who only ever sought the victory for his own image and comfort. Where King David sought the victory for the glory in the name of his God. And so as we, uh, as we consider all these things, I want to share one last scripture, Romans 8, 37. It says, no, in all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. You see, we are, we are in Christ's victory and we are more than conquerors. This is not based on our performance. It's based on Christ's grace, God's grace for our lives. So would you close your eyes as we uh, just close in prayer here? And then we're going to close in a, in a song of worship. So if you're here in uh, I'm actually going to tell a story. This is a true story. In the, Jackson, uh, in the Jackson State Penitentiary, there's a, there's a prison guard. He's actually, this prison guard is a, is a friend of a friend of mine. And this prison guard, uh, he's, he doesn't trust the inmates, as you can imagine. It's, it's, it's high security. And, and, uh, and there was one guy, there was one guy in, in, in prison that he, he wasn't afraid of. And so obviously when, when the people who are in prison, they're all innocent. But he went to this guy and he says, are you, did, you really, did you really murder someone? And the guy said, no, I didn't. But just the way he said it, he could tell that he was innocent. And months went on, months went on, and, and this, this man who was, in, who was in prison, he started to build a relationship and he went to him one day and said, dude, what? Why, why are you in here then? And he said, I have a little brother. 
He said he was 18 years old. And he got involved in some gang, in a gang. And he killed someone. And he said, I knew he wouldn't last in here. I knew he wouldn't make it. I knew he couldn't handle it. So I took the fall for him. I didn't want to see my brother suffer in prison for the rest of his life. He said, so I, I confessed. And I admitted guilt to it. And I'm spending the rest of my life in prison. When my friend told me that story, I started to weep. Because every person who's ever lived is guilty. Romans 3 says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fallen short of God's standards of holiness and righteousness. And our sin separates us from God. But instead of us paying the price for our sin, our rebellion, our selfishness, it says God sent his son, Jesus, so that anyone who would believe in him might not pay their own penalty, might not suffer an eternal separation from God, but anyone who believes in him would have eternal life. You see, Christ, much like the man who took the fall for his brother, Christ took the fall for you in your sin. He took the fall for you in your guilt. He nailed it on the cross. And he said, anyone who will believe in me, anyone who will follow after me, can have eternal life and be found innocent in the eyes of God. And if that's you and you've never made that decision, or if that's you and you're living a life that is, that is clearly separating you from God and you want to ask for forgiveness, you want to ask God to forgive you, you want to ask Jesus to come in place for you, I'm going to ask you to raise your hands on the count of three. And when you raise your hand, what you're saying is that I'm guilty. But I believe that Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross and his death and resurrection made a way for me to have a relationship with God again. If that's you, on the count of three, just raise your hand. One, two, three. Raise it up. Amazing. Anyone else? I see your hands. You can put them down. That's amazing. Would everyone just repeat after me in prayer? Father, I thank you for sending Jesus to live a perfect life, to die on the cross, to carry my sin, and to raise back to life so that I could have a relationship with you. Jesus, from this day forward, I will follow you. I will follow your word. I will follow your ways. Holy Spirit, I welcome you into my life to be the leader in every area. In Jesus' name, amen.